back in 2011, I did something that I'd never done before when it comes to reading and studying the scriptures. I'd always kind of read the scriptures, but I'd never taken a book of the Bible and did a deep dive on it. So for whatever reason, I picked the Gospel of Luke. I bought a few commentaries and I set out on this adventure with a new notebook. And my plan was to read until I had a question, stop, do a bit, do a bunch of research on it, and then you know journal on it and move on. I ended up uh, taking about a chapter a month, which there's 24 chapters in Luke. And so for two years, I basically lived primarily in Luke's gospel and did a ton of study. And I learned so much about uh, that incredible book. It's my favorite gospel. Um, and then there was, there was this thing that happened somewhere in the middle of that um, that I didn't understand until just this week. While I was studying the word really deeply, thinking deeply on it, and actually applying it and really meeting the person of Jesus in the scriptures, I began to have an overwhelming sense of compassion and, and kind of a burden for you know, we, we call them like the lost, the last, the least, the lonely, the left out, kind of any um, kind of people group you can, um, you know, categorize with the letter L. And um, I, I just had this overwhelming sense of the love of God and this kind of need to go and share that with people, um, not, in a, not in a way that would be like drive-by guilting or let me do something to make my, let me, let me help you and do something to make myself feel better, but, but just I, I wanted to help. And I remember, you know, living in a, a, a suburb in Helotus and, you know, the average person has a, had a master's degree, you know, worked at places like USA or Valero or Tot or, and we found ourselves in this neighborhood where we quite didn't belong. And I, I looked around and didn't see a lot of people in need in the obvious ways, which kind of led me to do this crazy thing. I would like drive around and look for people uh, who, who looked like they needed help, whether that was someone down at, at the, the, the corner of the intersection or whatever. It, amazingly, every time I went and tried to find someone to help, either to give some water or give some money to or bring some food to, I could never find anybody. It, it was kind of crazy. Um, I, I never understood why that period happened to me. Uh, in, in fact, uh, we eventually ended up selling our house and moving downtown because of this and starting our church because of this. Uh, it just this in, had this incredible burden to, um, to help people. Um, but I think as we finish uh, James chapter one today, we'll see that there's probably like a connection there and there's kind of something you can always expect to happen if you're actually in the word and, um, and letting it be inside of you. We're gonna be in James one and finish starting in uh, chapter 19. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn there with me. Um, th there's actually quite a bit in, in this chunk we're going to look at. My main burden to share with you today is at the very end, the last verse, James 1, 27. My, I think, favorite verse in James. One of my favorite verses in the entire New Testament in, in the epistles. Uh, but, but there's a lot we've got to get to there. So we're going to try to go quickly. I'm going to try to... Um, uh, tell some powerful stories that will help illustrate these things, but there's so much you could do a deep dive on here. Honestly, this is like three or four sermons in one text, so we're going to try to go pretty quickly. Let's start in verse 19. Uh, James says, uh, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. 
For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of our Lord. What James is getting at is kind of this. We have three responses or responsibilities to the word. We receive the word, we practice the word, and then we can share the word as those last verses says. Now, James would make a great Baptist preacher because he has a three-point sermon here, complete with illustrations and practical takeaways. The only thing missing is a potluck at the end and an offering or a baptism. So that's for my Baptist friends. Uh, First, let's look at receive the word. In verses 19 through 20, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, I've often quoted this and thought of it in terms of my relationship to other people, which is okay to think that. I think that's good practice to be uh, you know, slow to, slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to get angry. Totally great advice in our relationships to another. But as I study this, it's pretty clear that what James is speaking of is primarily in the context is our relationship to God's word, that we should be quick to hear God's word. We should be slow to speak in relation to God's word. We should be slow to get angry um, to God's word. Now, obviously quick to hear, that's that's kind of, um, that's obvious. I don't need to unpack that. Slow to speak. What does it mean to be slow to speak to God's word? Uh, you know, we can learn how to do this by learning by someone who didn't do this. In, in Luke chapter 10, if you know that passage, um, a lawyer comes to Jesus and asks him about, uh, you know, what's the greatest commandments and what shall I do um, to, uh, to inherit into your life? And, and they, they go back and forth and it causes Jesus to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan. At the very end, uh, this lawyer isn't listening. He is quick to speak and he, uh, he says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Which is basically, if you step back, he's not listening to what Jesus is saying. I mean, he's listening, but he's not internalizing. He's not processing it. He was quick to speak, right? And he kind of missed the point of who is my neighbor. And Jesus says, no, who was the neighbor, not who is your neighbor. That's kind of the point. So, so this is what James is saying. Uh, be quick to listen. Be slow to speak back to the word. You should be listening. And then um, be slow to anger. Uh, in other words, don't get angry at wisdom. 
don't get angry at the truth. We might say, don't shoot the messenger, right? Uh, Proverbs 9, 8 says, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, he will love you. It's often the difference. Uh, if, you know, if you uh, want to know who's wise or who's a fool, just correct them and you'll figure out. If they are wise, they'll actually say thank you because they understand the gift you've given them. If they turn back and hurt you or are angry or defend or fight, you know you have a fool. You don't have someone that Proverbs would say is wise. Um have you ever spoken the truth to someone in love and they got angry at you for it? Right? This is kind of what James is talking about. Now, Peter is a familiar example of not doing any of these three things in the Garden of Gethsemane. Was he um, quick to listen? Was he slow to speak? Was he slow to anger? No, he was uh, quick to anger so much so he tried to, to uh, cut a man's head off uh, and, and missed and cut his ear off instead. You know, he didn't aim for his ear. He if you got a sword, you're, you're aiming for someone's head. You know, Peter, God bless him, is, is such a hope for all of us because we're often Peter. You know, he was not uh, slow to speak. He was not, um, uh, yeah, he was not slow to speak. He was not uh, quick to listen. He was not slow to anger. Um, so we kind of have hope because Jesus does some great work with Peter. If we move on to verse 21, it says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, uh, I, I like the phrase here, receive with meekness. It's like um, the, the posture of a, a humble beggar is that we are to come to the Lord and receive humbly, not as if we're entitled and um, he owes something to us. Th then there's the phrase, the implanted word, which reminds me of one of Jesus's most well-known parables, the parable of the sower where he says, you know, the sower goes out, casts the seed, and there's four soils. There's um, hard soil that's compacted because of um, like a footpath, and the seed gets cast, it doesn't go anywhere. Then there's the soil uh, that has rocks underneath it, and it germinates, but then because there's no depth, there's nowhere for the roots to grow, when the sun comes out or when heat or pressure comes, it, that they quickly wither. Then there's um, the, the soil that's kind of crowded out by thorns and weeds, Jesus interprets those as the cares and riches of the world, and they kind of choke out the life. And then there's the fertile soil that, that actually receives the word, the seed, and gives fruit, right? And so this would be a great, you know, it's not the point of the sermon, but this is a regular thing you could do offhand is to kind of say, where's my heart? Um, what's the soil of my heart? Have I allowed people to trample on my heart and create kind of a footpath and create a hardness of heart? I mean, a lot of times when we meet people that have a hardness of heart, you just say, well, who trampled on you? And, and you know, you have to look very far. Um, or, you know, m maybe there's just not any depth to, to, to your, uh, your life with God right now. And, and the danger is when hard times come, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be hard to really be fruitful or maybe, you know, the, ca the cares and riches of this world have kind of crowded out everything. So uh, that's a great uh, thing you can do is to take this and go, oh, how am I receiving the implanted word of God? Am I receiving the word of God in a humble state? Um, is there a place for it to go? Um, is it actually implanted? Um, so it's so huge. Now, uh, I was reminded of a story I heard years ago. I think um, Matt Carter from the Austin Stone was sharing this one time. And he was friends with a very prominent pastor, uh, he didn't say the name, who had a really public uh, moral failure. I think he had an affair or something. 
and it was all in the news and, and, you know, the church suffered greatly and, and his family suffered and, and it was, it was awful. It was like the worst of the worst of the worst. Well, um, and sometimes when that happens, these guys, they go off into the sunset. You never hear from them again. Well, Matt was a good friend of them. So, uh, so Carter asked him, um, what, like, what happened? Like, like you're a great teacher. You were a great pastor. How did you go off the rails? And what this pastor said, I'll never forget. He said, you know, for so long, I would take the word and I would take it and I would receive it. And then I would give it to people. And I would take the word and I would receive it and I'd give it to people. And I would do this over and over again. And then he said, somewhere along the way, I stopped doing this and I just took it and I did this. And after a season of only doing this, the enemy got him. So the point here, James, is receive it for yourself. Like for me, for teachers, for pastors, for ministry leaders, the lesson is we have to receive the word first, get it implanted in us first before we try to give it to other people. And, and also for you, um, are you receiving the word and, and, and kind of putting it in there? Um, moving on to the second part. Uh, we see practice the word. This is what James is talking about. Not just receiving the word with meekness and humility and let it be implanted in you and kind of cultivating a soil in your heart that is conducive to growth, but also practice the word. Right? James uh, verse 1 verse 22 says, but be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving your own selves. Now, this reminds me of Jesus' uh, illustration that's similar in Matthew 7, at the, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus being a stonemason, a builder, a general contractor, he says, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man built his house on the rock, right? The winds, waves, the storm came, blew against the house, and it stood. Whoever hears these words of mine does not put them into practice is like the man who built his house on the sand. When the storm came, the house fell with a great crash, right? And, and Jesus taught this, and James echoes it here, that it's not just enough to hear the words. It's not just enough to hear sermons or to hear me talk about the word. You got to do it. You got to put it into, uh, in, into practice. Um, if he, he expounds on this in verses 23 to 25. He says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will, he will be blessed in his doing. And so kind of the, the imagery here, I'll, I'll just give you a different image um, than you know, looking at the mirror, forgetting what you saw, and then moving on. Is it be like, um, like today in the digital world? I think James would say it's like the person who who opens their phone and they look at Instagram and they glance at it and they even like it, and then they move on and they scroll to the next thing, and they move on and they move on. They, they, they don't actually um, sit there and let the things soak into them, right? And so that might be a, a point of question for you: is is when it comes with to you and the word. Do you treat the word of God like an Instagram post that you just kind of glance at? You might even like it. You might even share it. And then you move on and you just kind of glance at it. Another way to do it would be to see the word of God like an x-ray. Where you, you stare at, you study it, and you look for the x-ray revealing areas of health 
for you to protect and maintain and continue to grow in. Or you look at the x-ray for areas that are inside of you that are unhealthy, that are even cancerous, that are you know sin, so that you can cut it out by the help of, of Jesus. Uh, so that, that, that would, I think that's how maybe James would say this to a modern digital audience is, you know, not just are you looking at the mirror and then forgetting what you saw, but are you just glancing at the photo or are you studying it like you would an x-ray looking for what lies beneath this, the, the surface there? Now, to kind of illustrate this, uh, years ago, I was able to watch uh, a very powerful interview that Rick Warren had with um, a church leader in the Church of China. Uh, who's a very famous um, and effective church planner in China. They had to blur his face out and his name um, wasn't allowed to be broadcast because he was wanted in China. I, he like had planted thousands of churches. I think he oversaw like two or 300,000 uh, people, which is nuts. Um, and um, he was kind of rebuking American Christianity in a way. He was, he was talking to Rick and he said, you know what the American church's problem is? And we all kind of perked up. And he said, you teach, you, we all, you know, we teach beyond the capacity for obedience. Think of that. In America, we teach beyond anyone's capacity to go and do and obey the thing we just taught. He said in China, they'll sit down and they'll have, you know, a Bible study with someone and then um, they'll say, all right, what are you going to go do this week? How are you going to put this into practice? And they make a plan to go do it. And if that person comes back the second week, the first question they start with was, how did it go? And if that person did not put into action whatever it was they studied, they would say, all right, well, we're not moving on to the next verse or the next chapter or the next part in the curriculum. We're going to go back and study this, and then you go and do that. And after a period of time, if the person refuses to put into practice the thing that they were teaching them, they let them go. They said, we're, we're not going to disciple you anymore because you're not actually interested in being a doer of the word. I thought that was so incredible and such an insight into maybe that's why China, the church in China is kind of blowing up because the people there are actually doers of the word. Um, last week, we looked at a bonus beatitude. Uh, and, and in here, we have another bonus beatitude. He said, there is a blessing in the doing of the word. Now, Yes, I love Romans 10, 17. It says, faith comes by hearing. Yes, faith comes by hearing, but the blessing comes by doing. Uh, in the early days, and I, I think often uh, people got, uh, they, they maybe misunderstood me and, and got offended with me, um, but people would ask, um, hey, when are we doing a Bible study? And I think what they're asking was, hey, we want to learn and grow more, which is totally great. That's what being a disciple is. Um, but I, I, we try to articulate, and I think I failed at doing it, is Bible study is not wrong. I like Bible study, but there's a better goal. Bible doing is a better goal. It, and so I'm, I'm not a fan of Bible studies that just end with fat heads and narrow hearts and hands that don't do anything. Um, but I am a fan of Bible study that leads to a changed heart, changed hands, and and Bible doing, right? So um, I, I think that might be something that Christians from time to time need to reflect on is studying the Bible, absolutely necessary and crucial, have to do it, right? But does it just end in study or do you actually go and do it? You know, it, it's one thing to... Um, 
to uh, to read about praying. It's a whole other thing to just pray. Like like we don't need to do any more studies on prayer. We just need to pray, right? So there's a blessing in the doing. All right. I know I just flew through that um, because I want to spend some time here uh, at the very end of James 1, uh, 26, 27. Um, because I think, here's my, my thesis, is that if you actually receive the word of God, the person of Jesus in your heart, you receive him with meekness, you receive him and, and welcome the implanted word in your life, and you let him be the Lord and Savior, and you invite the Holy Spirit to come and be um, your leader, and you um, actually allow him to change you, and you begin to be a doer of the word, what I think will happen is inevitably God will give you his heart, and um, your heart will break for the things that break God's heart. There's this, the great song by, by Hillsong. Um, I think it's called Hosanna. And my favorite line in that is, you know, break my heart for what breaks yours, right? And, and that should be a regular prayer we pray. I think when you receive the word of God in humility and you allow it to get into your heart and you allow it to be planted and you get rid of the hardness of heart, you get rid of the, the rocks and the thorns and you cultivate a heart that is conducive to the growth of Jesus' character in you, I think what will always happen is you will have his heart for others and for your fellow neighbor and for the lost, last, least, left out, lonely, you know, whatever. All right, so verse 26, 27 is, is this third phase of James's three-point Baptist sermon. You gotta share the word. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, the word that James uses for religious in here is only used four times in the New Testament. And it's kind of translated um, often as an um, outward practice is how other um, kind of definitions read. But in Colossians 2, it's translated as worship. That's fascinating because I hate the word religion. Um, I will often tell people I'm not religious kind of because of maybe um, what Pharisees and legalists have done to the word religion. Uh, we always say, you know, relationship with Jesus is better than religion, all that. Um, and so I like that in, that in uh, Colossians, it, it it uses this word, but it uses it in the in the terms of worship. Okay, so so what does pure worship look like? Right. What James is saying is, you know, your religion or you know your worship is uh, worthless if you can't control your tongue. You know, your worship is valuable when it leads to serving others, especially those in need. Now, in, in verse 27, James 1, 27, my favorite verse in James, he says, pure religion, pure worship in the sight of God the Father is this, to visit. Now, uh, the, the word there, visit, I, I don't like the English translation here because when I think of visit, I think you show up for 15 minutes and then leave, like a hospital visit, right? This is not that. It's, it actually means to look after is what the word um, means. To, to look after. So, so pure worship in the eyes of God the Father is this, to look after them, to, to look after 
widows and orphans. The, the widows and orphans in the Old Testament was this classic kind of category that described um, anyone who was like alone, uh, forgotten, on the underside of a bad situation without somebody to help them, someone to provide for them, someone to uh, protect them. Um, especially in the ancient world, um, you know, w- widows, if they were survive, if they survived their husbands, um, they were actually fined in the ancient world because uh, because the government viewed them as a drag on the economy, right? So t- to be a widow was not a was not a, a Hollywood thing. Uh, like today, when we see widows, we have some affection for widows, but in the ancient world, it was like you're a drag. So uh, it's because of the power of Jesus and, and the love he gave to widows and the teachings of James here, we can see how that's changed over the years. Um, but but it, widows and orphans, so someone who doesn't have someone caring for them, you know, people on the underside of a bad situation. Uh, and the message translation, uh, Eugene Peterson calls it the homeless and the loveless, right? So are, are there people in your life that are homeless? Maybe they have a house, but do they have a home? Uh, are they lonely? Are they loveless? There's so many examples of this, and, and you can take widow and orphan, and you can expand that category to, um, you know, uh, the sick, to those with with maybe a mental illness or with a physical disability, uh, the, the illegal alien, the refugee, um, who's maybe uh, come to our country to to seek a, just a human life. Uh, I mean, the Old Testament is full of examples of caring for the foreigner. I mean, we can't forget that the first communion meal was given to um, a people being run out of the country um, by a a crazy leader. Um, You know, like the Hebrews were foreigners in Egypt um, and God cared for them, right? So you have, um, the scriptures are very clear about uh, these types of people who are kind of on the underside of a bad situation and, and that God cares for them and he's near to them and that he longs for his people to be their advocates instead of their adversaries or their accusers. Um, so th- this might be a great time to kind of sit back and go, um, who are the, and I'm gonna use air quotes, the widows and orphans or, or the homeless and loveless or the last, lost, least, left out, lonely, neglected? Yeah, I mean, the, the list, uh, I even hate to, to, to name things, you know, like like even like single moms or single dads, single parents, you get out of here. Today's day, uh, uh, nurses, frontline workers, uh, people who have COVID, uh, like like the list is like never ending of the people who are in need and need help. Um, who around you is the widow and orphan in some way, shape, or form? Who needs you? to share the love of God with them in like tangible, easy, everyday ways that don't necessarily seem heroic. You know, like if you live next door to an actual widow and you got a lawnmower, the math on that's not that hard. You you mow her grass and you don't need to Instagram that or tell anyone about it. It, it, that's, That's pure worship is, you know, mow the widow's grass or, you know, take care of her leaking roof or, you know, whatever. So um, that, that, that's my burden reading this, uh, studying this today is, is, is how 
is God speaking to you right now? How do you go from receiving the word with humility and creating a, a fruitful environment for it to grow, which would lead to you looking around and saying, love finds a need and meets it. How might I share the overflow and the love of the Lord with others in like practical, tangible, doing the Bible ways? How do we do this? Um, you know, we're just talking about being doers of the word, so we can't just talk about it. You know, honestly, whenever I experienced this um, kind of burden that I, I mentioned at the beginning of the message, um, I struggled with how do you do this? Um, I, I knew how to preach sermons. I knew how to lead worship. I knew how to create videos. I knew how to plant churches. I knew how to do ministry. But when it came to serving those who were in need, I didn't necessarily know how to do that, nor did I know where or how to find them. And um, for a long time, I just longed for, like, there has to be organizations out there who can like practically just help people care for widows and orphans. And I think it was in um, about five or six years ago, I met Leslie Kingman from Snack Pack and just immediately fell in love with the vision that she had and the burden that she had to look after widows and orphans in their affliction and to do it in a tangible ways and easy ways that actually made a difference in people's lives. So I've asked uh, Leslie to come and join us and uh, and talk a little bit about just this one way you can do that. All right, this is Leslie Kingman. For those of you who don't know, we've known Leslie for about five years, I think, a little more. And um, when we first heard about Snack Pack, um, I think we've been going on our, this was our fifth school year right. to do at Hawthorne Elementary, Hawthorne Academy, where we worship usually when, when we're not in Rona Tide. Mm -hmm. So, um, what I loved about Snack Pack is we were looking for how do you easily help people who are in need and actually make an impact. And when, when I met Leslie, um, we didn't even need to pray about it. It was like, does God care about hungry kids? Yes, do it. How much does it cost? 150 a year per kid to feed them all year. Absolutely, yes, do it. How many kids are at 80 kids across the street from our church are hungry? Let's do it. So we've been on that for five school years, and then for, we've been doing Bowden for two years. Um, and so I've told people, I my opinion is Snack Pack is like the easiest way to feed the poor and make a long-term difference. I think... Um what I have found with Snack Packs is that it's, and I don't mean this as a negative on Snack Packs, it's mission light. It allows you to put your feet, your toes in the water of mission work without it being intimidating or scary. It's not like you're going to Africa. It's not like you're going to Honduras. Um, it's not, uh, it, it just isn't scary at all, but it's very missional. And as people kind of weave their way into snack packs, what I have seen is um, God grows your missional heart. Um, I don't mean that, I don't want that to scare you because I think that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, but, but it allows you to kind of get the um, rhythm of mission um, and understand how important it is to your walk with Jesus in a way that doesn't um, just totally freak you out. 
Yeah. So I know some listening and watching, um, you're like, I got it. I'm going to go find my own mission or I'm going to go find my own cause. And God bless you do that. There's some who's like, I don't have the time for that. Just give me A, B, and C to do and sign me up. And so that's why I want to introduce you to Leslie. I have been wanting to have her visit our church to, in person to talk about Snack Pack. Um, you know, regardless, so thought James 127 is a perfect opportunity to do that. So can you tell us a little bit how Snack Pack got started and then what, like what's Snack Pack doing across the city of San Antonio today? How many schools are we in? Um, well, Snack Pack uh, got started here in San Antonio because um, I heard, uh, not just me, a group of us heard um, a speaker at an EMEA conference in 2000, early 2012 who spoke about the church being church, not a building. Works well for you guys because you're not in a building. We don't have one. Um, about the, the difference with that and how the church just needed to um, be present to people and to um, show them what the love of, of God looks like over and over and over again. And one of the, the things that that speaker talked about was um, a program in Titus County called Titus County Cares where they fed kids on the weekend. And I'd never really thought about it, but we were involved with a school, Lamar Elementary, and already, we were already kind of working with them, ministering with to them and with them. And um, and I went to the counselor and said, do you have kids who are hungry on the weekend? She's like, oh yeah, Leslie, I got a lot of kids hungry on the weekend. And um, so that's kind of how we ended up um, researching and bringing snack packs here. Snack packs started in Amarillo. Um, it's actually uh, not a church-based program, but we made it a church-based program, which was fine, um, just because we thought it had all the right pieces to be a church-based program. It was about love, and it was about caring, and it was about dignity and respect for those children that we do serve. And so um, we just love that message of dignity and respect and consistency. Um, one of the premises of snack packs is that once a child is identified, they get a snack pack every single week without fail. And that looks like God's love for us. It's mm -hmm. consistent. It doesn't stop. It it's continuous. And so that that was one of the th one of another one of the things we loved about snack packs. So we started in one school in 2012. Um, and now we are in 31 schools feeding about, well, pre-COVID, feeding about 2,500 kids a week. Wow. Um, through COVID, we've been feeding about 6,000 kids a week. So big difference for us. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. You know what I like about uh, what I've heard you say is is you don't do um, generic brands. Right. Name brands only. Name brand, why brand you, Why? Why is that important? Because these, uh, God gives us his best, right? He, Come on. he never, he never cuts back on us. He never says, oh, let me give you the generic brand of me. He never says that. And so one of the other premises of snack, snack packs on the dignity and respect side is that we, we buy, we purchase name brand, brand new products that kids will recognize because we want kids to understand how important they are, how valued they are. Um, and, and nothing says that. Uh, to a child than being able to have a Kellogg's cereal product or planter's peanuts or Fairlife milk or Cheez-Its. Cheez-Its are a big deal for kids. Um, mm. 
those items that say, oh, wow, somebody cares about me enough to give me the best, um, that's, that's the message that we want a child to get from receiving a mm. snack pack every Friday. We know we've had a lot of new people join us, uh, even since we've gone online. Basically, what Snack Pack does uh, is the school, for example, the two, the two schools we do, Hawthorne and Bowden, teachers will identify students who are uh, at risk, um, food insecure. What are some of the warning signs? For yeah, um, we go in and train teachers at every school where a Snack Pack program exists um, on the markers for what chronic hunger looks like. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to identify those kids who don't have nutritional resources to, to lead healthy, productive lives on the weekend. And some of that will be food hoarding. Some of that is cracked lips. Some of that uh, manifest in behavior, especially on Fridays because kids are very nervous about what the weekend um, food desert mm -hmm. may look like for them. And then very often on Mondays, they don't come back into the classroom on time, ready to learn, um, uh, prepared for the week because they haven't had adequate nutritional resources over the weekend. So we ask teachers to do the identification. We don't do any of that, but teachers are of course fabulous at it because they're working with the kids all the time. And um, honestly, I'll say that that when we first started at Lamar, the, the, first, um, the, the first thing we saw was that it took a while for teachers to, to look at us as a church and understand that we weren't leaving, that we were providing a consistent product, that we weren't going away. And it was a big message. I think churches very often had been in the habit of, drive-bys, oh, let me, and not, not that there's anything wrong, with that, anything wrong with that, but let me help you at Christmas or let me bring turkeys at Thanksgiving or, you know, right. those kinds of things. And that's not what we wanted. We wanted to be able to show what God's consistent love looks like. And, and so kind of our first converts uh, to understanding that we had great respect, not only for kids, but for teachers or the teachers. Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. It didn't occur to me, you know, most of us, we're recording this on a Thursday, tomorrow's Friday. So we're like, thank God it's Friday, but kids aren't necessarily thanking God it's Friday because they're nervous about being hungry all yeah. weekend. Then they show up on Monday, probably in a bad mood, hard to concentrate. They're losing uh, and effectively. They're kids. Yeah, they're, they're <laughs> losing two instructional days. And these are kids that can't afford to lose two instructional yeah. days out of five. So, um, and teachers validate that. We do a certain survey every year of um, asking our teachers, is it making a difference for the kids? Are you seeing any um, improvement in concentration, participation, ability to learn, behavior, um, overall health of the child? And teachers across the board tell us it does make a difference, makes a huge difference yeah. for the kids. If, if, if a kid is appropriately identified, it makes a huge difference for them. So um, what's great is the teachers identify these kids they get uh, the the their parents or guardian or grandma has to get permission right. for this, okay? And then so once once everything is shaken out, like August September, um, um, every Friday Thursday Friday we have volunteers from our like so our gospel community once a Thurs once a month on Thursdays we go and do Bowden, so you, you do it as as it's convenient, and you basically distribute the snack packs in these bags to the classrooms to the teacher on the teacher's desk, and it's the teacher's job. The teacher takes the snack packs, puts them in the kid's backpack when they're at recess or whatever, so none of the kids see it. It's not mm -hmm. a big deal. 
-hmm. and they go home. And so the dignity is preserved. It's kind of done secretly right. with permission. Um, I love that. I love that. It's such a great, I mean, it truly is, in my experience, like one of the easiest ways to make a difference, especially in a kid's life. So mm -hmm. um, if you're hearing this, uh, you know, uh, Chris and Lauren Mungin lead the Snack Pack program for us uh, at Hawthorne. And, uh, and Shelby uh, Gutierrez uh, does Bowden and Carol Archer does Bowden. And there, there's ample need. And especially with money. I mean, just if you got $150, you got $10 a month you want to give. Uh, you know, we're about to head up a new school year mm -hmm. with the economy. I'm guessing the need in the fall is going to be greater than we've seen before. Yeah. And so this ain't going away and we need to be prepared to do more this coming school year. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So, um, if someone wants to learn more or jump on board or even help in other ways beyond sponsoring a kid or volunteering, what are some ways that we can help you um, now and in the coming months? Well, I, I think the, the biggest way is to pray for these kids. Uh, they, um, their lives are so much more complicated than ours. We think our lives are really complicated now compared to these kids. They just have so many um, weights holding them down that um, I, I think the biggest, easiest, most effective way you can help them is to pray for them. Um, we're going to have a lot more kids that we need to serve. We know that we, because of the fact that we're seeing so many more families access um, curbside meals during COVID that I think um, they're just, just going to be this time um, where, where we're going to need to step up our game. And here's an important piece that I've learned in all this is that God will take care of it. He always does. Um, I have... Uh, I used to just not sleep at night worried about um, kids and how this was going to work out. And I've learned that uh, we just have to give it to God. And God takes care of it. Uh, he just provides in ways that have been remarkable to me um, in that he, I think this is his heart too, I think he knows that these kids need our help. And I love that um, Snackbacks remains true to the fact that God is in charge and that we will depend on him and that I hope we show people what he looks like by just this one little thing that we do hmm. for kids. I mean, we're talking about receiving the word with meekness, letting God change your life, being a doer of the word, looking after, caring for people in need. Obviously, there's people in your life, and I think every one of you are smart enough to ask the Lord to show you where you can help. I wanted to highlight Leslie and Snack Pack as one way our church has been doing this for five years, how we're committed to doing it continually, especially in the school that we rent, uh, Hawthorne, and that many of us live by in, in Bowden. Um, and, and I hope that you take away some inspiration that, that there might be other snack packs or other little creative kingdom minded ventures and enterprises out there. Uh, the sky's the limit. And I want to encourage you to, to, to seek the Lord. And, and if God puts this on your heart to, to go for it, thanks for coming and sharing yeah, a little bit. And thanks for us. letting me come and share. Anything you want to, um, know about snack packs, you can certainly ask Chris and Lauren Mungin 
special shout out to Chris, who is my Excel genius. <laughs> and, you know, that it's, he's one of the blessings that God uh, gave to us. He spent a lot of time with us over the last six months trying to get our some of our systems in oh. better shape. And uh, so um, I didn't even know that was what he did. So um, that's been a huge blessing to us. He's more than a radio voice. He's more than a radio yeah. voice. Jesus is Lord. Now, uh, the gospel message, like we always say, is that there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. So being a doer of the work doesn't earn you extra credit with Christ. It doesn't make you more lovable. Uh, how I say it is it makes you more aware of God's love. So when we align ourselves with God's way, when we align ourselves with the truth of Scripture, God doesn't love us more, but we somehow become more aware and can receive more of his love. So especially when we talk about looking after widows and orphans or helping people who are in need or, or helping our neighbors or helping people who are uh, vulnerable and quarantining uh, or, or staying isolated for their own health or however you wanna flesh that out, we don't do those good things so that God will love us. We do them because he already loves us and we are motivated and our, by his love, our, our hearts are filled with his love. So always remember that, that, that we don't you know, feed the poor so that they'll get saved or so that God will save us. We feed the poor because we already are saved. And if God saves them or, or, or that opens up a conversation, great. But we don't do it as evangelistic bait. We don't, we don't, we're not feeding kids at Hawthorne or Bowden um, for the hopes that we'll save them. I mean, we'd love to share the message of Christ with them, but we don't do it so that they'll be saved. We do it because we already are saved, okay? Now, as we go into this week, I, I want to I encourage you if, you, if you have any extra time on your hands, some people don't have time on their hands. Some people are. They have suddenly lots of time how can you um, look after people uh, and, and, and to do it humbly, to do it not for your sake, but for their benefit, uh, not as a Messiah or having a Messiah complex, but actually doing it to serve them. Um, if you have extra time or you have extra money, um, this is a great time to go, Lord, where are you already at work? Who are the people you've already put out there that you um, by your love, want to lead me to just love and worship you. Now, it doesn't have to be grand. Um, don't. It doesn't have to be um, some like heroic thing. It could be something small. And I would encourage you, find someone that you can love. Do something small with great love. I think small acts with great love are so much greater than the big, extravagant, outreaches. Do something small, ordinary with great love. If, if you know of uh, an, an older person who, who can't go to get their groceries right now, go get groceries with great love and don't tell anybody about it. Don't Instagram about it. You know, if you live next to someone who is struggling, you know, give generously and sacrificially to them. 
and don't tell anyone about it. Um, if you're next to the widow who needs her grass mowed, mow the grass and trim it and, and pick up all the clippings and sweep the sidewalk and, and do the best you can on that yard and don't tell anybody about it, but do the simple act of mowing grass with great love. You know, you, you get the idea. I think you're, you're smart, you're creative. You can look around you and see areas where you can love and serve people. And if you have extra income, uh, give directly to people. Or if you want to give, we have a benevolence fund that we've been helping people with, with counseling. We've been helping people pay for their rent, uh, for groceries, um, for the utility bills. We have a benevolence fund. If you want to give towards that and you're like, I don't know how to do this, but I trust you guys, uh, you, you know, there's a process and how that gets distributed, but you can go to our website and that's a category you can give to. And there's so many ways, so many practical ways. All you got to do is open your eyes and ask for the spirit to lead and encourage you. Receive the word of God humbly. Let the implanted word take root. Be a doer and then look for pure ways to worship him by serving those who are in need. Uh, man. I am pumped. I'm just like, let's go do it, right? Oh, we should probably pray. How about that? Father, I just thank you for your son, Jesus. And uh, thank you for his example of loving you and worshiping you in such a pure way that it actually went from head to heart to hands and that he loved Mary and he loved his brothers and sisters, and he looked after and visited widows and orphans. And everyone that would fall under that category uh, throughout his ministry, I mean, uh, and how it's just categorized as caring for people that no one uh, cares about. Thank you for the example, Lord. And, and we just confess we don't have it. Like, we don't have the resources. We don't have the, uh, the ideas, the creativity. Um, to go and do that in our own strength. And even if we did, it would quickly burn out. But God, we ask that you would help us to um, be pure worshipers in your sight, especially in this pandemic, especially in this crisis, um, especially when there are um, horrific things happening in race relations and in um, people coming to our country seeking a humane life. Lord, when it comes to uh, people who are hungry and sick and out of work, raising kids by themselves, kids growing up without parents, the elderly, oh God, the need is great. And there's absolutely no way we can meet all the need, but God, I pray you would help us to have eyes to see people exactly how you see them, not as Republicans see them, not as Democrats see them, not as Northerners or Southerners see them, not as East Coast or West Coast, but as children of the Most High God, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, give us the eyes to see people how you see them and give us the love in our heart that would be the great motivator to love and serve as you did, Jesus. We ask for your help in these difficult times, in the multitude of difficulties that we face. Be near to us, Lord. Be our guide, be our strength. Fill us with more of your love. Help us to be peacemakers 
as we engage a broken and hurting world. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's pray as our Lord taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.